0: Okay, it's great to be with you anyway. And uh, you'll hear from Olive in a wee while again, because uh, we're going to share the sermon this morning. So uh, I'm going to start, and then she's going to uh, complete it. And then, as you can see, we've got uh, various uh, activities we're going to reflect on and engage in as we think about this question of what it might mean to be able to pray. Because I guess you know, today there will be millions of people all across the nation who were praying. They'd be sitting on the edge of their seats at 3 o'clock praying that the right team will win. Of course, you all know who the right team is, don't you? That's God's team, whichever one that might happen to be. There'll be even more people praying desperately in the middle of the night between tonight and tomorrow morning, wondering however they're going to get through from today to tomorrow. Because right, wherever we look right across the world, people pray people are desperate to pray people are increasingly coming to the end of themselves and thinking where is this world headed to what is the future hold is there a future for the world is there a future for my family because as people's relationships fragment and split and diversify so many people live on that edge between sanity and disaster between consistency and fragility And prayer is something that every survey that's ever been done asking people, what is important in your life? Even those people who never come to church, even those people who might say, well, I'm not really religious, prayer very often features in their lives. And people increasingly are looking for guidance. What does it mean to pray? I mean, is it just like having a shopping list? Is it about who's going to win the Super Bowl? Is it about whether I'll find a car parking space when I drive around the street? What is prayer really about? And that's a question that Jesus' disciples asked him in that passage that we've uh, already heard sung to us and we've uh, recited the Lord's Prayer. And I just want to read a few other things that uh, Jesus says here about prayer before we reflect on the Lord's Prayer. Whenever you pray, Jesus said, this is Matthew chapter 6, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners So they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who's in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. When you're praying, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. They think they'll be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. It's an interesting prayer, this one, isn't it? I mean, we've got, uh, says the Lord's Prayer up there. And when Olive invited you to pray it, she said, let's pray the Lord's Prayer. Actually, the one thing we seem to know for certain is that uh, Jesus didn't pray this prayer. I mean, we have records of Jesus praying prayers in the Gospels, but this was the disciples' prayer. Because it was actually when the disciples said to Jesus, how are we supposed to pray Jesus said, well, this is where you should begin. So it's a prayer for disciples, a prayer for those who want to follow Jesus, which means we can indeed learn something from it as we reflect on it today. It's a very interesting prayer. It's a very well-balanced prayer. It's poetry, actually. That's why it's so dead easy to remember. I guess there was nobody here this morning who couldn't remember the Lord's Prayer in whatever form you're familiar with it because it's poetry just like much of the rest of Jesus teaching he consistently expressed himself in graphic images and dramatic statements and poetic stanzas that anyone could uh, remember and as we look at the Lord's Prayer here it falls into two uh, sections actually and the first section we've got uh, the three stanzas it begins our father who art in heaven which tells us something very important in itself it's a social prayer It's our Father, and later on it's our bread, our daily bread. It's forgive us our trespasses or debts or sins or whatever version you said it in. This is a social prayer as well. This is a prayer to be prayed alongside other people. Elsewhere in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives pretty good instructions about how to pray private and personal prayers. And there is a difference between the way we pray when we're with other people and the way we can pray when we're doing our personal devotions and our private prayers. So this is a social prayer. It reminds us that it's a model for how we pray when we're with other Christians or with other people. And then how does it start? Well, it's got three uh, stanzas that are about God's glory. Because in Christian terms, that's where Jesus says prayer should start. Prayer should start with God, not with us. And so we have these statements Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Three things that are about God, followed up of course by three things that are to do with human needs. Give us today our daily bread, forgive us our trespasses or our debts, lead us not into temptation. Praying for God's glory first and then praying for the needs of people. Or I guess if you like, praying for really big issues, Because God sees everything, the whole world, the whole cosmos, all the people, praying for the big issues, getting God in focus first, and then praying for personal issues. So this prayer covers all those things, but Jesus sees them as two sides of the same coin. Because actually, as we know from elsewhere in the Sermon on the Mount, God is concerned even about the small things. God even knows, Jesus said elsewhere in this sermon, how many hairs you have on your head. It's easier for God to count some people's heads than others, of course, but um, God cares for even the details of our personal history. It's a great prayer because it gives us some ideas as to the appropriate things to pray about and pray for as Christians. And I always think when I'm wanting to pray for something, asking myself this question, would it really fit in the concerns of this prayer? thinking about the lord's prayer and jesus says this is how as disciples you should pray well hey is it appropriate for me to pray that i should get a parking space is it appropriate for me to pray that my team should win the big match is it appropriate just ask yourself that question when you're thinking i need to pray about this i think it might give us all a different perspective on our lives and our priorities so what do we get here Well, let's think briefly about these things that are for God's glory. Um, First one is, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. You know, I go to lots of churches and um, hear lots of Christians speaking to God as if, like, you know, God was the guy next door. As if he was the person who serves you in the shop. I go to churches and they welcome God into their worship. You say, hey God, we're really pleased you've come to join us this morning. I'm delighted that nobody said that here this morning because I was going to say that even if you had done. But, um, hey, we need to recognize that God is already here. It's actually God who invites us graciously into God's own presence, into worship. And as we worship, we are caught up in the worship that is already surrounding God in heaven and worldwide. You know, a few weeks ago, a few months, a couple of months ago now, I uh, did, it's all true, all that stuff in the bulletin. I spent a whole weekend as a guest of uh, Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. And uh, that was a very, very interesting experience. I can tell you that all the stuff you read in the media, in the newspapers, and you see in the movies, um, yeah, well, it might be entertaining and fun, but most of it doesn't match the reality. So I can tell you that straight up. Um, One of the things I had with the royal family was great fun. And I don't think I can remember a weekend where there was so much laughter and telling of jokes and stories for a very long time. But in the end of the day, the queen was still the queen, you know. I didn't actually speak to her as if she was the person serving me in the shop. I didn't actually talk to her as if she was my best buddy, though she was very accessible and approachable. There was a sense that he was somebody who was different. Now if you put yourself in that situation, you think of the kind of people you might expect never to meet in your entire lifetime. How would you speak to them? People who are important, or supposed to be important. People who are the great and the good. You would actually have a sense of reverence and uh, distance, and you'd speak to them in ways that you thought were appropriate. I think we need to rediscover in some of our churches ways of speaking with God that recognize that God is not actually the same as us, that God's name is to be hallowed, that it makes a difference and we should watch how we speak and think before we speak in terms of addressing our Heavenly Father in prayer. And then, of course, there's the um, coming of God's kingdom. Your kingdom come. I wonder what you think of uh, when you hear that term, your kingdom come. I have a friend in Scotland, Ian Fraser, who's uh, probably about 90 now, and uh, a theologian with a lot of experience of uh, encouraging people in small groups around the world, based Christian communities. And uh, I remember him saying quite a long time ago now, a few years ago, John, God's kingdom is just God's way of doing things. It's how God does stuff which is different than how we do things. So think kingdom, think God's way of doing things, which, as Jesus reminds the disciples, is always different than our ways. So the first become last. Everything's turned upside down and back to front in the way that God sees it. Think of the mess that the world is in today, which is certainly not God's way of doing things but we need to remember that as we pray thy kingdom come if we pray for it to come we know that it's a work in process as well and I wonder who is part of that process how does the process of bringing about God's way of doing things happen well the next uh, stanza reminds us of some of this your will be done on earth as it is in heaven because actually the reality is that somebody needs to do it somebody needs to do God's will that's actually how the kingdom moves on from bringing a work in process that's how the process is pushed forwards it needs to be done by you and by me and Jesus reminds the disciples when you're praying this prayer you're actually you're not just praying a prayer that's like out there and distanced from yourself you're actually effectively saying yes Lord I want your way of doing things to come to pass. And I'm offering myself to be part of that process. I'm going to be part of that process of bringing your will to pass throughout our world. Well, what is God's will? We could spend weeks here talking about what God's will might be. But there are some things that are fundamental, aren't there? We know that God's will is service, not selfishness. We know that God's will is giving and not grabbing. We know that God's will is loving and not hating. We know that the golden rule, as Jesus expressed it and is found throughout scripture, is love God and love your neighbor as you love yourself. I wonder what the world would be like today if we loved our neighbors as we love ourselves. Increasingly we see the law of the jungle operating as we grab everything for ourselves. Hey, when we pray this prayer, we're not just saying, Lord, I want the world to be different. We're saying, start with me, and I'll make a difference. I'll be out there. I'll be batting for you. I'll be on your side. So to move on to the second half of the prayer, the bit that focuses on human needs, let's reflect on that.
1: And having looked at the big stuff, God's stuff, we come to personal needs, human needs. And maybe we think, well, okay, I can get a better grasp on that, because that's the stuff about me, that's the day-to-day stuff. But I wonder, what does it mean, give us this day our daily bread? Well, I think it's important to notice that Jesus is actually talking about real bread, not some kind of spiritual notion or a euphemism. It's real bread. It's the real stuff. Um that can be quite tough for us today to even think about bread in that sense because we go into the supermarket and we see lines and lines of, I suppose it's bread in polythene bags, it's a shape, there's been lots of it stuffed in the oven at once so that the profits can be good for the big companies and we we don't have that kind of appreciation of what it was like to live and get that smell coming from the oven of components that had been taken together natural things like wheat and living yeast and a little bit of sugar and some water and it coming to the right temperature and growing and then getting knocked back and the stuffing being knocked and shaped it took time and we've lost some of that so the appreciation of the warm bread coming out the oven isn't something that many of us have we tend to have this um kind of stuff that has lots of additives in it so it'll last longer on the shelf and in our houses it'll last for the whole week and indeed it's even sort of crept onto our communion tables at times and cut up into cubes of bread and, and that immense pleasure of what real bread is like has been lost on us in the 21st of century maybe you should go home today and actually go back and make some real bread and just enjoy what that's like And the second thing that's here is it's um, worth us noticing. It's not our daily cake. It's about bread. It's not about all the extras. Maybe because the bread in supermarkets doesn't taste so good, that's why we have this passion for extra things and more of all the time. But, of course, it's not just bread. It's about all the other luxuries we could name as well. It's quite hard because we go into the supermarket, don't we, and you can't really pass... Many counters before you'll come on a sign that's two for one or three for the price of two. So we we get more and more and more and we accumulate it. And that, it's not a new phenomenon. It reminds me very much of the Old Testament when the people were in, God's people were in the wilderness and they didn't have anything to eat. And God said, I'm going to provide it overnight, every night. There'll be this stuff growing. We'll call it manna. And you can collect it and eat it, and it will be fresh every morning. But even like us today, there were people who couldn't get enough, and they'd go and collect too much. And then what happened the next day when they thought they'd got extra? Gone moldy. it had gone rotten. When did you last clean your fridge out? How much went in the rubbish? Yeah? How much is, are you going back to clean your fridge this afternoon and have a think about that? How much extra and surplus because we can't resist that taking more and more. And it's quite a tough decision because sometimes it's a cost thing that would do these are not easy issues for us to think about. but we need to give us this day our daily bread and it's bread sufficient for each day. Jesus reminds us not to be anxious about tomorrow. You know, that's what this drivenness is to get more and more, is that we're thinking, how will I get on tomorrow? What about next week? What about these questions? And Jesus encourages us and reminds us, sufficient for today, look after the needs of today because I'm your actually your provider. I think on the screen you can see or you can make out, a, a massive ship there. It's actually called the Emma Mursk. And it docked in Felixstowe in the UK um, sometime in December. And there were crowds and crowds of people who came out to see this ship because it was so vast. Its anchor alone weighs 29 tons. It can, can, it can um, have on its, its decks or wherever it goes 11,000 Containers, 11,000. Can you think in those kind of numbers? I find it actually quite difficult. It's a quarter of a mile long, it's 200 feet high, and it brought 45,000 tonnes of Christmas goods to the UK from China. And I can't. Ooh, it was also. It's as wide as a motorway or a freeway. I mean, can you imagine? No wonder people turned out to look at this great ship. But when I think and wonder about these 45,000 tons of things that were on it, Where, where are we? We're into February, and I'm thinking, I wonder how much of that was wrapping that's just gone into landfill sites. Maybe some of it's been lucky and it's been recycled. I wonder how many broken toys are in among all that stuff. I wonder how much of it's actually being used as opposed to being sent to charity shops because people didn't really want that gift or they had three of them already. What does it mean to have our daily bread provided? Well, the next phrase that comes in this prayer is straight after provision is pardon. And after the word give is forgive. Give is followed by forgive. The word debts there sort of draws attention to the fact that the things that we've done that we shouldn't do and also the things that we've left undone that we should have done. And what's that saying to us? We're indebted. We've fallen short of the standards that God had expected for us. But it's not some sort of spiritual calculus that's on your palm down there that you're working out cleverly. It's not God sort of weighing up... Um, Well, if I get the sums right, I'll get forgiveness. If I forgive enough, God will forgive me. No, it's really underlining for us that people who are harsh and unforgiving actually frequently find it very, very hard to be forgiven themselves. They find it very hard to receive God's grace. And then we come to this last little bit about protection. Lead us not into temptation. Now, I think we could argue forever Does God lead us into temptation? In fact, some people have argued about it for a great deal of time. In fact, some people have even written books about it. But I think what Jesus is getting at here is there are dilemmas that we face that are moral dilemmas. Most of us would rather not have to face those. They're the big decisions. But if we're put in that place, please, will you help us? I mean, just think of some of the things you have to face. You think you'll go and put your money in this bank because it seems a good bank, it advertises good rates, whatever. And then you discover somewhere, you're reading in the paper that where they invest their money or whatever, they support gun trafficking or, yeah? And you think, oh, well, I didn't think it was that complicated. I just thought I was putting my money in the place I could get the best interest. And lots of issues like that face us in the 21st century that perhaps didn't even face our grandparents. We have big, difficult choices to make. And there's a responsibility on us today to actually find out what goes behind the choices we're making. We can be quite black and white about things and think, I think this is right, and then we're in conversation with someone. And they say, but had you thought on this angle? And we think, oh, oh gosh, it's not as straightforward as I thought. And that's what this bit of this prayer is about. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Will you help us to make the right moral choices? And having addressed those human needs, we're brought full circle right back, and the focus is on God again at the end. At the very end of the prayer, there's this praise to round it off, a statement of praise. The prayer ends as it began. Deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever. And just in case we forget, it's repeated again, forever. Amen. It's one thing to talk about these big issues, but what's going to happen when we go outside the door and we go for lunch? And maybe you go out for lunch and um, you order lunch and look at the servings that you receive, yeah? You know you're not going to get through it and you're going to ask for a doggy bag to take half of it home. How are we going to address some of these things that are in our everyday lives? Well, we've created some opportunities around the sanctuary this morning that you can do just that. There are You can see some tables that are not normally here at the front and they're replicated exactly the same at the back. And I'd like you to come and visit these tables in a while and have a look at them because they're different sorts of place settings. And you can have a look at them and think about the people you would know who might be eating the things that are suggested and you might pray for them. There's also um, at four points, one here and one here and the same at the back, offering place, because giving our offering is part of this. It's not just about paying our money and we get in, and if the choir sang really well, I'll put a bit more in, and if they didn't, I'll reduce it. Our offering is part of our, our worship. And so this morning as you come, maybe you want to think not only about what you're putting in your offering, but what's left in the bank balance. How in today's world should we be spending our money? What should be the choices when we go and buy whether it's a car or whatever it might even be the question do I need a car these are daily choices for us so in our worship we need to respond to that and then also we'll be having an opportunity to share communion there'll be people at the four points of the church with bread and wine now you can visit these stations in whatever order you want This is not a supermarket, so you don't need to queue up, okay? This is the home of your loving parent, God, who wants you to come and feel at home, but to face up to the big issues. So you can move around in any order that you like, and you can visit perhaps the tables first, or you can go for communion first, or bring your offering. But before we do that, the servers are going to come forward, and we're going to pray.
0: So let's pray together. It's the joy of our salvation, God of the universe, to give you thanks through Jesus Christ. You said, let there be light, and there was light. Your light shines on in our darkness. You've created us to hear your word, to do your will and be fulfilled in your love. You sent your son to be for us the way we need to follow and the truth we need to know to give his life to release us from our sin. You sent your Holy Spirit to strengthen and to guide, to warn and revive your church. Therefore, with all your witnesses who surround us on every side, countless as heaven's stars, we praise you for our creation and our calling with loving and with joyful hearts. Holy God, holy and most merciful, holy and just, glory and goodness come from you. Glory to you, most high and gracious God. God of the past and of the present, we, your people, remember your Son. We thank you for his cross and rising again. Take courage from his ascension. We look for his coming in glory, and in him we give ourselves to you. Amen. St. Paul wrote that I received from the Lord that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way he took the cup, and after he had blessed it, after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.
1: Amen.